0: Welcome to a new episode of University College Utrecht Campus Chats. My name is Kim Zitzeloot. I work at UCU as a lecturer in economics, a tutor and a recruitment officer. And I'm here today with my colleague, Lotte Berg. Lotte, would you maybe like to introduce yourself?
1: Hello, uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be part of the podcast series. I've really enjoyed uh, listening to my co-workers' stories and getting to know them a bit better. So I'm really excited about it. Um, Yeah, so my name is Lotte, I'm a psychology teacher and tutor at UCU and uh, I teach introduction to psychology and psychopathology and I've been on campus for two years I think now. Yeah,
0: and for you it was a return because like our previous guest Emma Moyet, you were also a UCU student.
1: Yes, exactly. So it's been a while, I actually thought about it today and it's been 13 years, I graduated in 2008 so yes, uh, I'm returning after many years.
0: <laughs> and uh, why UCU? When you started out looking for a program, why did you choose to study at University College Utrecht? <laughs>
1: that's a great question. I've been doing a lot of uh, admission interviews, and of course, that's <laughs> one of the questions that I ask <laughs> uh, prospective students. Um, I actually, um, after high school, I didn't really know what to do. Um, I did a gap year that turned out to be two gap years. I uh, knew that I wanted to go abroad Mm -hmm. and I was really interested in uh, learning Spanish. So I decided to go to Spain and originally I wanted to enter some kind of environmental project, but that was canceled last minute. Um, So I did end up going to a language school there and then I decided to work in a hotel. So working as an entertainer, meaning that you do sports activities during the day with hotel guests, and at night you do a lot of theater as well. And um, I really enjoyed it, so I, I stayed there for a year. I worked on Lanzarote, one of the Canary Islands. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my one gap year turned into two years. <laughs> And when it was time for me to, I, I definitely knew that I wanted to go to college. I uh, just didn't really know what. I was interested in a lot of different things. And I think I think maybe someone I knew, I think that's how I found out about UCU. And I went to the website and when I read about the program, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is exactly what I've been looking for because of you know my broad interest. I could combine different topics. Um, I also really liked that they had a performing arts track. I was really interested in that. Uh, also the idea of living on a campus uh, interested me and kind of the international community and environment because you know, I'd been working abroad and um, I really enjoyed you know, meeting people from different countries. Um, so I was super excited about the program and uh, that's why I decided to apply. Okay. And what, what did you do at UCU itself as a student? So, um, I was an interdepartmental major. I think now it's called (laughs) interdomain. So, I actually combined uh, all three different domains. So, I did neuroscience, psychology, and performing arts. Okay. And I had a minor in uh, Chinese language and culture. I went on an uh, exchange program.
0: Okay. You were in Xiamen as well? No.
1: Yes. Yeah. It was uh, the Xiamen. It was the first group going there.
0: Okay. And what do you like about that combination?
1: Well, it has uh, obviously psychology and cognitive neuroscience uh, have an overlap. Um, I thought that really helped me kind of, you know, exploring um, psychology from from the more biological perspective as well. Um, I really enjoyed both the psychology and and cognitive neuroscience courses. What I really enjoyed about the performing arts track is uh, back then we also had dance. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's an offer at the moment. And even though like it seemed to be something completely different, of course, than, you know, like the more science and social science courses, um, I think it really helped in my development as a person. I think things like presentation skills, of course, if you have to do theater and things like that, uh, yeah, that really helped. Um, And also, of course, reading more uh, about some background literature and about performance and things like that. I think it has also like a bit of a psychological component to that, of course. And um, yeah, I was just really happy to combine all those things. Yeah. Of course, with um, going to China, that was then, I guess, something completely different. Uh, but it was one of my favorite courses, doing a summer course in Chinese language and culture, because I really enjoyed learning how to write the characters. And that was an amazing experience.
0: What, what's like, if you look at Chinese characters, they're often like a visual representation of the language in a way, right? Do you yes. have like a favorite Chinese character when it comes out? Just...
1: Oh, it's been so long. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think I could answer the question. I don't, I remember like a few characters. I, I think I could write a few, but I don't think I would know the meaning of uh, all of them. So, no, I wouldn't remember that at all. It's, it's a pity. I, I really enjoyed studying Chinese, but then afterwards, you know, of course, I got up, caught up in other things. And once it doesn't feel that relevant at that moment, you know. Um, yeah, I uh, yeah, didn't study it anymore.
0: And what's like, um, if you look back at your time at UCU, what's your favorite memory?
1: Oh, um, I think I have a lot of really good memories, uh, you know, uh, which is obvious, otherwise I don't think I would consider going back to UCU <laughs> and being a teacher and tutor. Mm, A lot of my good memories definitely involve friends, uh, living on campus and being on a, within a walking distance of all my friends was an amazing experience. I think, okay, I think, um, so I was part of the group that uh, put on the first musical at UCU. Oh wow, look at that. I did the choreography of hair. Yeah. Um, and then the year after that, we actually uh, produced a musical that was written by a UCU student. Yeah. And um, I think seeing that, and um, I think both of those experience, both preparing for hair, but also particularly kind of like our own production and also performing it off campus. We did it in a theater in the city center, mm-hmm. uh, just seeing that all come together and seeing that performance and seeing how hard everyone worked for it and how many sacrifices were made to make that happen uh combining all your studies with uh the musical i think that was a really wonderful experience and i really remember that moment where i was looking at the performance uh, in a theater and i was just so proud that we were able to do that as a group of students
0: yeah just a pride of look at what we pulled off from from zero really and that's something yes, because exactly. that the musical is such a big deal on campus still and it's really lasted throughout these all those years and it's or is one of the highlights of the year.
1: Yeah, it's really amazing. Unfortunately, I haven't been in the last couple of years because obviously they've been canceled because of COVID. uh, But I'm really looking forward to uh, going to the future ones.
0: Um, After UCU, you did a Master of Psychology at the University of Amsterdam. And well, one of the things with psychology, of course, what I see as a tutor and what I'm sure many of our students are struggling with as well, is that there are very strict entry requirements usually. And that uh, you do need to have quite a bit of knowledge of psychology if you want to do mm-hmm. it. It's a little bit less flexible in that way than some other master programs. Yes. How would you, if you look at your experience as a liberal arts and sciences student in that master program, how would how would you say your experience there was different from someone who had done a full bachelor in psychology?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think because it was a research um, master's, I think that helped. Uh, so um, it, I think as a UC student, it was not too difficult to enter that program. What I, yeah, what I experienced mostly is that uh, UC really uh, helped me develop a lot of relevant skills. So for example, presenting and writing, uh, critical thinking. And I was definitely a little bit worried starting the master's program. I was worried like, oh my God, I'm I'm not going to have all the knowledge that all these other students have. Maybe I'll struggle with keeping up with the material. And I noticed that, yeah, of course, sometimes I noticed there was a bit of a gap in my knowledge, mm-hmm. um, but I was able to quickly um, yeah, just do some studying and and and, and, and uh, catch up. But I had a major advantage over other students of, you know, things like time management and presenting in English, writing in English. I remember I had to do a group presentation with someone who had never presented in English before oh, no. or who had done maybe one presentation in their entire bachelor program or something like that. So obviously they were super nervous and, and inexperienced and of course, coming from UCU, I had to present many times and also in English. So, um, yeah, that was a huge advantage also with the writing.
0: And if you look back on it now, because you're now, of course, full-fledged psychology, uh, well, academic, I guess I would say. you're not a psychologist as far as I
1: know. Well, I think you're called a psychologist if you studied psychology, but I'm not a clinical yeah. psychologist. Yeah,
0: Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: not a psychotherapist or
0: yeah yeah and um if a student would come to you say i they already know they want to continue in psychology you know they want to do the master's in it potentially um even a phd or become a clinical psychologist would you recommend them to to do liberal arts and sciences or would you say do a bachelor in psychology first
1: um if it's someone who's very interested in academia and maybe doing research and possibly graduate school I would say that UCU would prepare them uh, really well because it is very much based on skill. And um, I think uh, being able to study other um, subjects can really help, you know, broaden your knowledge and see the different connections. You could, you know, add some cognitive neuroscience maybe, or more biology, uh, but even things like philosophy, I think would really um, help you be a more well-rounded researcher. If, as soon as more interested in clinical psychology, um, then it becomes a bit more trickier because I think for your you know personal and academic development, um, UC would be really helpful. But it might mean that your uh, eventual kind of like career trajectory might be a little bit longer, or you might have to jump through some more hoops in order to get there. Um, usually when, when people come to me with a question, I always ask them, like, do you already know in which country you would like to practice? Because each country has different uh, ways in, like, licensing, psychotherapists. And, you know, if you already know that you want to um, uh, practice in Germany, then maybe it might make more sense to follow your education there. If you want to become a clinical psychologist or obviously, like in the Netherlands, you know, um, it would be very helpful if you speak Dutch. And <laughs> Uh, If you do a bachelor program, you'd already have classes in like interview techniques and more of those kind of specific skills that uh, we don't offer at UCU. Of course, if you speak Dutch, you could take off campus courses and uh, work on those skills already, but otherwise you'd probably um, yeah you might need to do a pre master program in another country if you want to. start practicing there, but. You know, a lot of people are uncertain and then if you're not worried about maybe having to spend an extra year doing a pre-master or yeah. something like that, then I think USU uh, would still be very valuable.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think a lot of it is also similar for medicine, indeed, that you really need to look at the country where you want to practice it and everything.
1: Yeah, it would make your life a little bit easier if you know that beforehand. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but those are things that are very hard to know uh, at the age you have to decide on a university.
1: Yeah, I definitely remember struggling with that a lot. And um, I really enjoy being a tutor because I at least hope that I can be somewhat helpful to help students guide in their uh, decision-making process. I think one thing that I definitely struggled with is kind of thinking of, oh, what would I like to do in the future? Mm-hmm. And I think I had this misconception of like, okay, if I think about it hard enough, I'll just find the profession that I wanna uh, do. And then I can just go do that. But that's just not the way it works and you might change your mind and um uh, yeah you make decisions uh, at that moment with the knowledge you have at that moment and uh if you do that i think you'll end up somewhere that works for you yeah
0: no exactly i mean i find the same thing with my duties i mean if they go for the things that really interest them that motivate them Um, that get them to do the work as well, then you usually end up in the places that are a good fit for that as well. Well, Yes,
1: exactly, exactly. And I think it's also important to remember that... um, (laughs) I'm going to sound like a really old person, but... (laughs) (laughs) nowadays i think there are a lot of jobs out there that don't even exist yet or that will be created for you because you have a specific set of skills and you talk to someone and they say like oh hey actually we need someone like you maybe you can work on this project and these are all jobs that aren't necessarily out there or it's not a specific study that you need to follow to to get to there so um yeah
0: no no it's absolutely true yeah um because your route was well maybe less straightforward than it might have been for other people because you didn't go straight to a PhD after your master, right? No,
1: and even after UCU, so <laughs> even after UCU, I took a gap year as well. Yeah. Um, I actually originally enrolled in um, a woodworking college. In oh, US.
0: wow. That's so cool.
1: I uh, was considering going into performing arts and actually enrolled at the UU at a program. But then last minute I was like, "Nah, I don't think I want to do that. Then I decided, you know what would be really interesting? Uh, woodworking. Wow. <laughs> they have some really amazing programs in the US and um, I applied for that as well, but unfortunately I couldn't get uh, a scholarship to go to the US uh, to do so. So I found, um, what is it called? Something like um, Ornament and Wood Carving Academy in Deventer, it doesn't exist anymore, but there's, yeah. kind of, there's a used to be a Wood Carving Academy. Uh, in the Netherlands. Um, So I did that for a year. It was only like one or two days a week. And um, I worked in a liquor store.
0: Okay, Um, yeah. (laughs) It pays the bills
1: Exactly. (laughs) And I was really seriously considering becoming either a carpenter or like woodworker. And it was really amazing because it was a small group of people. A lot of them um, uh, quite a bit older than I was and uh, working either on restoration of furniture um, or just doing it in their free time. Uh, and it was really amazing. That was actually one of the moments where I was like, "Oh my God! I know what I want to do. I want to carve wood." <laughs> uh, but of course, you know, certain concerns of like, "Oh, would I actually want to do this full time? And how do you make money? And all those kind of things?" And I did have an academic interest, so you know, um, in the end, I didn't des- uh, des- I decided not to pursue that. And um, so I did then the, the research masters, and then um, for my thesis. So it's a two-year program. Mm-hmm. Um, and for my thesis, I wanted to go to the US. Uh, really? So I went to San Diego, UC, uh, UCSD. Um, so I did my uh, master thesis there. And it was in a really incredible lab. Um, it was addiction research. Mm-hmm. Also, my first research project um, during my master's program was based on addiction. Um, sometimes I wonder if it had something to do with working in a liquor store. <laughs> 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 um, And uh, yeah, it was incredible. Like, obviously I worked on my own uh, thesis project, but we also, I was also, I I loved it so much there that I decided to stay so I could stay working there. And I worked there for, um, yeah, I stayed there for about four years. And I worked on some um, different projects. One was um, called Youth at Risk. And they basically started, um, uh, yeah, collecting data of, kids or like, you know, teenagers around the age of 12 that were at risk of developing alcohol or substance use disorder, from, for example, based on uh, family history so that their parents uh, had a substance use disorder. And they were basically followed every year. And by the time I started working there, I think they had already followed them for 10 years. It was really incredible. So they assessed them every year, like based on some neuropsychological assessments. Uh, they also did uh, fMRI, looking at brain activity, also mm-hmm. brain structure, and just seeing how they developed over the years. And of course, you know, a group of them did start uh, using uh, drugs and kind of seeing what the effects of that uh, was. And uh, it was a really incredible lab. Very motivated and hardworking people. Um, I really enjoyed my time there and. We also did some more experimental studies where one of the professors um, was really interested in interception. So basically, you had your uh, awareness of like your bodily sensations, and he thought that maybe uh, people with an addiction would react more strongly to their bodily sensations and try to kind of like find an equilibrium and maybe therefore start using drugs. So what we actually did is we... um, wanted to create a pleasant and unpleasant situation for people while they were in the scanner. Okay. So I would an fMRI scan. And what we did for a pleasant sensation was to use a, um, a brush to stroke their arm. So, okay. you know, someone, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. someone would actually be like uh, sitting next to the person in the scanner and someone would like, you know, you'd have headphones and you'd hear a beep When you had to stroke someone's arm.
0: (laughs) Okay, what's your job? I'm an arm stroker. Okay.
1: (laughs) 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 And then as an unpleasant sensation, um, people were asked to breathe through a breathing tube. So you would wear a nose clip. Yeah. And then at the end of the breathing tube, there would be a plug that kind of restricted breathing a little bit. So basically makes breathing in harder. So you really have to like work to like pull in the air yeah sounds super unpleasant for anyone who's ever been in an MRI scanner you know it's already kind of a confined space and then on top of that you uh you sometimes your breathing is restricted so I found it really incredible the teenagers that I put in the scanner that were able to do that um so yeah I I got to get familiar with a lot of different kinds of research techniques and working in uh, different research groups and it was really an amazing experience it was really
0: cool and then um, you did your PhD at Masters University.
1: Yes, exactly. So um, after, yeah, working there, I wanted to uh, go back to the Netherlands and I decided to do a PhD after all. I actually never thought I would. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh, I started to already, when I was living in the US, I started to get interested in meditation and mindful meditation. Mm-hmm. And uh, at Maastricht University, they had, uh, PhD program where you could choose your own topic so it's basically kind of like a, a talent program where you can yeah. write a proposal and then really completely choose yeah. your own topic so it's like oh my god this is amazing now I can finally study uh mindful meditation so I was really lucky and I um, got that spot and um I I honestly I didn't really care what kind of patient population I would work with and um someone who was also interested in in mindful meditation worked at the alzheimer's center Mm -hmm. so it ended up being a project on mindfulness and aging um so i did a lot of different kind of projects based on that theme
0: and because where is there anything in particular
1: that triggered your interest in mindful meditation in the u.s um I think originally I probably read something about it somewhere about like how it can reduce stress, but also how it can change your brain. Mm-hmm. And I think particularly in the beginning, you'd sometimes hear read an article about, you know, people who meditate have different brain structures or different brain activity. I thought that that was really interesting. And um, I also liked it that it was a tool for stress management. Mm-hmm. And um, um, so in the USA, as a participant, uh, I did the eight week mindfulness-based stress reduction training. So usually when you read about research involving mindfulness, it's usually based on that eight week program where you have a weekly group meeting of two and a half hours. You also get homework assignments. And then for eight weeks long, you're really uh, practicing uh, mindful meditation.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. And then that was enough, sparked enough of an interest to really want to continue in that.
1: Yes, Yes, definitely.
0: Because your PhD itself, as you mentioned, it was about mindfulness and aging, Mm -hmm. in particular to look at the feasibility of mindfulness for people with indeed memory problems, so people with with Alzheimer's, and then developing a training for people and their caregivers to basically improve the quality of life.
1: Yes, yeah, that was one of the projects.
0: What kind of exercises uh, can you do there if you're talking about people with dementia?
1: Um, So... What we did is we recruited people with beginning stages of dementia, so they were still able to follow instructions um, and their caregivers together, really with the idea if, you know, when you get diagnosed uh, with dementia, it's a really difficult process to deal with, both for the person with dementia, of course, but also for the caregiver, often the partner. And we thought that something like mindfulness could really help also in the process of acceptance and and dealing with this difficult uh, phase in someone's life. So we adjusted the training a little bit, but not that much. Um, so for example, you do um, meditation. So it could be focusing on your breathing mm-hmm. and really noticing when your attention wanders and then bringing your attention back to the sensations of you know, your breath going in and your breath going out. Um, but it also involved themes such as communication, you know, what do you notice in communication with other people or what do you notice, um, you know, kind of exercises as homework, uh, what were some pleasant experiences, what kind, were kind of like your thoughts and uh, feelings and bodily sensations and really connecting those three aspects of experiences and also unpleasant experiences, of course, and um um, yeah, and of course the theme acceptance was a, a big thing in this training.
0: Yeah, and and are we? Yeah, so they're very concrete exercises that you basically have.
1: Yeah, so I, I think that is somewhat of a bit misconception. I think some people when they hear the word mindfulness, they think it's very kind of like new agey and vague, but it's actually a very practical program that gives people tools that they can work with, and that is something that the participants really enjoyed as well, and. I expected that it would be helpful for the partners of the people with dementia, but I wasn't sure if you know the people with dementia could actually yeah. work with the materials. We definitely noticed you know we have a workbook where you could write stuff in and read some more information and they didn't use that. So most yeah. people couldn't really read or uh, take in that kind of information anymore. But I was really pleasantly surprised that some um, patients mentioned that they, uh, initiated the exercises themselves as well, because of course we thought like, okay, well, it's mostly gonna have to come from the partner to be like, okay, hey, come on, let's do this exercise. But one participant mentioned that um, often in the morning he would wake up and, you know, again, realize like that he has dementia and kind of, um, almost starting to panic about, you know, the future that lays ahead of him. Yeah. And then he would realize, like oh, maybe I can do one of the exercises. And then he would put on like a, an audio to do a short meditation exercise. So I thought that it was incredible to hear that that yeah. uh, it could still make a difference for them as well.
0: Because how did you because what exactly were you trying to? Well, this is the economist talking, huh? <laughs> and sort of, uh, trying to measure the effect of the exercises.
1: Yeah, so this was a pilot study, so it's very small. Um, We were mostly interested in quality of life. Yeah. Um, So we did measure some questionnaires in terms of stress, also just you know if their mindfulness (laughs) uh, increased. Uh, But it was mostly based on qualitative studies to do interviews with them and seeing which um, aspects of the program worked for them and which didn't and kind of if yeah, if they learned anything, if they're applying anything in their day-to-day life. So it's more of a feasibility study to see, okay, is this training program, is this suitable, this, which is mostly based on a standard training, mm-hmm. or do we need to make some drastic adjustments to make it more suitable for, for this participation group? Yeah. yeah, And be. of course, you know, from an economical perspective, you could say like, well, if people, um, uh, yeah, have a higher quality of life, they might be, less likely to need more medical care or uh, uh, particularly now, for example, in the Netherlands, you know the partner or caregiver is expected to take care of the person as long as possible. Yeah. So obviously if they are able to deal with this kind of stress and, and um, yeah, extra work that they would have to do, it would also mean that uh, it would take longer before they would have to, the person with dementia would need to be admitted to some kind yeah. of care facility.
0: And uh, do you know, because you mentioned it was a pilot study, was this continued afterwards as well?
1: Yeah, so um, it was called uh, TENDEM, as a Dutch acronym for training of attention for people with uh, dementia and their caregivers. Yeah. And um, we published um, or we produced uh, like a booklet with um, yeah the workbook, but also instructions for the trainers. Mm-hmm. And we uh, contribute, uh, we. Um, made this available for mindfulness trainers, certified mindfulness trainers in the Netherlands. And a lot of them uh, started their own groups. So based on the materials that we developed, they started working with that. And I know, I think the University of Leiden is also starting research again uh, with this particular program. And um, yeah, there are plenty of people who are starting to work with it. So I don't have a clear overview, but I'm really happy to hear that it's still being used and, and these kind of groups still exist.
0: Yeah, Because are you still doing any research right now as well?
1: Um, no, not at the moment. I am wrapping up uh, one article still based on uh, data at my PhD, but I'm not doing any active research at the moment, no.
0: And because I imagine you incorporate mindfulness in your own life as well, right? Yes. Can you, um, yeah, how has it helped you make it through corona, maybe? <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, for me, I think, um, mindfulness meditation, it has several components. On the one hand, you have kind of like the more formal practice where you actually might sit still and meditate. But for me, it also has more major impact on how you live your day-to-day life. Uh, so really doing things with attention. Um, I think, Also my interest in mindfulness meditation comes from the fact that I am so easily distracted and I tend (laughs) to really like live in my head and constantly be thinking and not really paying attention to what I'm doing. Um, And meditation has really helped me with that. So it's kind of like, I've gotten better constantly reminding myself to pay attention to what I'm doing. And I think that really reduces a lot of stress uh, because you're not constantly, you know, thinking about the past or thinking about the future or things like that, but you can just kind of be in the moment and focus on what you're doing. And I think also a bit of the, you know, the acceptance, you know, being able to accept what's going on at this moment, even if there are things that you can't really change. Um, So yeah, I think uh, that 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 is how it has helped me through uh, the corona regulations.
0: because yeah. I think for a lot of people, there's been something of a turning point last month. It's my guess. I'm completely hypothesizing
1: here. A lot of people just... So for you maybe.
0: <laughs> I mean, I've heard it from a lot of students as well. Mm. There's something now that somehow it's starting to drag on, it's starting to feel long. Yeah. Whereas before people had a feeling, Oh yeah, you know, we'll be out of it soon enough. That feeling is a little bit gone. Like, okay, it is going on for a long time and it's going slow. Um, Are there any tips you could give to people for like sort of staying sane in this period?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think that has been the difficult part about uh, living in Corona times and I think it relates very well to mindful meditation that kind of frustration really comes from the fact of how you want things to be and how things really are and that kind of gap how do you bridge that and i think that this is an excellent example of people expecting to already be out of uh lockdown for example or expecting to already have face-to-face education and now reality is something different yeah um yeah how to deal with it um obviously if you have an interest, I would say, you know, try uh, mindful meditation. There's a lot of free materials out there. Um, UCSD has a mindfulness center with a lot of free uh, audio and also video material that you could just uh, stream.
0: And that's the University Um, of California, San Diego, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I think it's important and that's I guess also important outside of Corona times to really check in with yourself and see, okay, what are the things that give me energy? What are the things that cost energy? And how can I balance these things? And uh, sometimes it can be, you know, adding activities that give you energy. Um, sometimes it can be taking out uh, activities that, that cost you too much energy, or sometimes it can be taking a different perspective because yeah. um, some tasks that need to be done or something that maybe you don't enjoy as much but sometimes maybe realizing what the long-term goal is or um doing them with attention making it more interesting as well um that could help
0: yeah that's gonna make a difference for sure okay um i'm thinking i think i've covered pretty much everything i wanted to ask oh no of course you're an illustrator as well
1: <laughs> yes
0: And what kind of uh, work do you make
1: um A lot of different things. I uh, do free work, of course, you know, I just like to draw. um, And um, for example, like for my uh, PhD, for my dissertation, like I illustrated the cover and like the chapter headings. Um, I work with someone who writes books on acceptance and commitment therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of like a third wave cognitive therapy um, where they make use of a lot of metaphors. Uh, so they explain, um, yeah, different kinds of concept with very kind of a visual image. So I make illustrations for those kind of books. So these can be uh, books for professionals, for therapists working with this uh, therapy, or also for uh, workbooks for clients going through these kinds of exercises. Um, So those are kind of the things that I do. I've also done a few scientific illustrations, for example. um, Yeah, drawing a neuron with uh, plaques related to Alzheimer's disease for coworkers and things like that, yeah.
0: And what's your favorite materials to work with?
1: Mm. (laughs) Based on what I've just been saying, I would say wood. (laughs) But I haven't worked (laughs) with wood in such a long time. Uh, I've also done a bit of, uh, yeah, working with clay, but I haven't done that in years. Um, Maybe watercolor, actually, Uh, because I I think it's a difficult material to work with because it doesn't really do what you want to do most of the time. But I think therefore it also creates kind of like a spontaneous, um, uh, gives more spontaneous results maybe because sometimes things happen that you didn't intend to happen and it looks good. (laughs)
0: <laughs> exactly and it's also again about acceptance and taking things as they come
1: <laughs> exactly exactly the
0: mindfulness element again is there a particular artist you admire
1: um I would say uh Mobius a graphic oh, novel yeah. artist mm-hmm. yeah I really like uh like his line work is amazing um I, yeah, I, I really admire the colors that he used. I, I admire the line work. Just the way how I've been trying, I'm, I'm working a bit more on drawing uh, faces and working on a comic book. Um, and I really admire his work because I'm really terrible at drawing people, uh, but for the comic book it's really necessary. So uh, I'm working on that.
0: Wow, you're really a, a Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> many different feels, many different interests.
1: Oh, that's very really kind of you to see.
0: <laughs> well, very liberal arts and sciences. Exactly,
1: exactly. <laughs> I, I could be a poster child for UCU.
0: <laughs> we'll put you on the next poster.
1: <laughs> okay, well,
0: thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it.
1: Yes, I definitely did. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was wonderful.
0: That's, thank you.
1: <laughs> Bye.